Hello, Alaska. This is Pat Race. And this is Matt Buxton. And this is a podcast about Alaska. Have you been seeing the uh, Thanos memes that are going around the internet now? Governor Thanos yeah. has snapped his fingers and now 50% of the university has... Mr. Dunleavy, I don't feel so good. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty great. Perfect so we're talking balance. about the budget, right? Here, um, this is the yeah, highlight of this yeah. week, uh, and it's well. Uh, it's I'd a doozy. say there's a couple of highlights this week, right? So, like the budget is out, which we've been anticipating and talking about for weeks and weeks and weeks. But also, the house is now organized. It so, is, yeah. Uh, that's it, a pretty big change since last last couple times we've talked. Right. Yeah. So, governor released his budget on Wednesday. Uh, it, he matched, he at least came close to trying to match, uh, rev- expenditures to revenues. So with, uh, with headline grabbing, uh, cuts like 25% cut from, uh, K-12 schools, uh, nearly 50% cut from the University of Alaska system, which the president says would, they would have to either double tuition or close multiple campuses to, to make work. Uh, the slash the marine highway system. I'm not sure how much they got cut, but it sounded it was like three quarters, right? Yeah, 75%. Yeah. And so that that is that's something we're dealing with. Uh, Medicaid is uh, pretty much gutted under his plan. Um, see, a lot of senior programs are being either uh, repealed or the fees are being kind of doubled on them. Um, but, you know, he, at the same time, you know, he's uh, investing in oil tax credits. And he's investing in prisons and he's investing in uh, his own office. So uh, there's not cuts across the board, just cuts in certain places. <laughs> uh, so uh, what was your what was your initial reaction to the to seeing the, the budget? I mean, so we knew the, the, he was going to do deep cuts, right? Because there's no way to cut $1.6 billion from state government without uh, without either programs being eliminated or, or deeply reduced. I guess some of the really surprising things are is that he really did go after um, K-12 education. I think he, he, on the campaign trail, kind of talked about not cutting those programs. He's cutting them by 75%. So... That's a really big change. Um, the uh, senior cuts are really big too. So you know their their proposals are ending the senior benefits program. Um, these are just you know I guess what I'm so far really surprised by is just how unifying these cuts are. Uh, everybody hates yeah. them. You know they it really touches just about every single uh, group in Alaska and really touches. Uh, I think a lot of the vulnerable populations in Alaska, whether it's uh, people who rely on any sort of uh, uh, safety nets, you know, like Medicaid for for healthcare, whether it's seniors, you know, extremely poor seniors who are receiving like I think it's like a hundred and seventy-five dollars a month if they are really poor. So that that's what he's proposing to get rid of. Um, you know, the K-12 cuts are really really surprising. Um, I think one of the big things too is that you know they're they're looking at all these sort of changes that. Uh, not only are cutting sort of spending that local governments will need to make up, but they're also cutting like revenue from a lot of local governments. And uh, they're they're saying that, you know, local governments can no longer tax oil and gas properties, uh, can no longer get parts of um, of uh, fish taxes, a couple of different right. things where it's just like it, you're punching them with the left and the right at the same time, basically. And it's like just a really knockout hit. Yeah. And that's a lot of downward 
pressure on the municipalities. I mean, like I, in Fairbanks, it was Fairbanks North Star, Star Borough. It was something like forty-nine million dollars out of a you know approximately one hundred and sixty million dollar budget or something like that. Yeah, I mean, well, and I mean, then, so the North got, Slope Borough is. I mean, they're the the oil tax cut alone is like three hundred and seventy-two million dollars a year. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. It's just been it's been completely wild. It's there's so much to talk about and so much to go into. Um, one of the I you know I've been trying to keep up with Senate Finance and one of the uh, hearings this week, Donna Ardwin, um, the from OMB was in there, and she said that the their chief economist uh, Ed King thinks that private job growth is going to make up for the jobs lost uh, because of this budget, and I I don't understand how that works. I'm very eager to see those numbers <laughs> because I don't know if they're just accounting for like the the jobs in government or if they're thinking about the university and the private sector, like the residual job loss as well, if it's going to like the, having this stable lean economy is going to, is going to bring back all these private jobs. Uh, and I'm also like curious if they're imagining that this is going to be the same people who already live here, or if there's going to be this out migration of thousands of Alaskans that are employed right now, and then an in migration of thousands of outsiders who are going to fill these like newly created imaginary private economy positions, and then uh, and then they they really haven't talked about like what time period this all happens over, well, is that, it like five yeah. years or ten years, or like is it just happen instantly? So there's a lot a lot of weird stuff. Yeah, I mean, the other thing, too, is that, like, the way Alaska's economy and and sort of government is structured right now, which is where we're getting, like, only revenue, really, from oil and gas industry. That's, like, the only thing that we really get new dollars in for. So, like, if there is a big economic boom and all of a sudden everyone in Anchorage is hiring, there's, like, no way to connect, you know, government services, which are roads and schools and all that sort of stuff, to the economy. So, like, there's no income tax. There's no property tax. There's no sales tax that go to the, the government. So, like... Schools will get more expensive if there's this huge boom, too. And it's really bizarre. I mean, so they're talking about, I think the top line numbers right now are about 700 or so positions would be eliminated through the state's direct budget. I don't think that includes, um, that that definitely does not include the university, which has said its budget cuts alone would be 1,300 jobs. Um, Or or the school districts, which I don't think there's a hard number on, but you could imagine what cutting 25% out of every school budget will do. So um, multiple more hundreds, if not thousands of jobs on top of that. So we're talking like, Three, four thousand uh, government jobs sort of being eliminated. I would, I would kind of guess, and then, um, well, and so, and yeah, and that claim, like already, I mean, there's already been economic work on what cuts would look like, and and they're saying ten thousand plus is, I think, the the overall impact. Sixteen thousand, I think, is what Icer was saying, right? Yeah. The thing is that they've been presenting this all in a really, really kind of uh, disconnected, disconcerting way, where they. They come out and they say, like, okay, we're doing this and this is how many jobs it's going to eliminate. But there's no recognition that these are people that they're impacting. And there's kind of a, like, you need to solve it attitude towards the legislature. Um, And it's like, this is our proposed budget. And, like, now all the problems are yours. And uh, we haven't really considered the consequences because Mm -hmm. that's not our job. And our job is just to, like, you know, count the beans. So it's really a weird it's, – it's it's very strange. And I feel like Donna yeah. Arden is kind of like this – taking on this, like, oppressive stepmom persona where, like, we didn't we didn't ask for her. She just kind of showed up and started telling us how to spend our money. And, like, she's just been given all this control. And it's kind of understandable that Alaskans are angry about it and that – I don't know. There's, there's just been this huge – 
burst of energy in social media and conversations on the street. Everyone is talking about it. When you walk down the street, you just hear people like, yeah, I catch, I catch like one sentence of someone complaining about yeah. some part of the budget. Yeah. Well, that's what I think going back to talking about like the, the economic sort of justification of all this, right? Like so far, like we haven't heard any of it. Like we've heard catchphrases like, you know, uh, stability and unleashing entrepreneurialism and like all right. this sort of stuff. It doesn't mean anything. It doesn't mean a single thing. And, um, and but I think what it, what it does is not only is it does it kind of poke holes in their whole argument, but it also makes it really, really difficult for the legislators who are going to have to vote on this and are, are you know, hearing um directly from all the their constituents like it makes it really hard for them to be able to say even if they even if they want to cut this stuff like they can't there's no justification in hand they can't say it's going to create x number of jobs or we can't afford it or anything like this and may and maybe that comes along eventually but it's 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 strange that they haven't released that information yet that it's like why would you hang on to that why would you release a budget like this and not release the data that backs up the decisions you made that says you know that justifies these decisions they've just kind of rolled out this budget and said this is what it is but they haven't said this is how we determined what was important to cut and this is our here are our rankings of the departments and everything that's prioritized within in those departments and this is the data that shows how many jobs are going to come back to the state through through investment in the private sector and none of that stuff is available and i don't know if that's just like they're trying to slow roll it out because it's a lot to digest but it's it's just wild how unprepared they are <laughs> yeah i mean and 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 so it really a lot i mean i think you're right when you're talking about social media and the response to it like we see all these thanos memes and all this sort of talk about uh, that sort of, you know, we talk, there's a lot of talk about whether, you know, whether or not uh, Donna Arduin looks like Cruella DeVille or she looks like, you know, Ursula or whatever. But like what we're seeing, I think, is you, we talked about this a little bit earlier, is just like there's a lot of new yeah. voices, I think, that are, are getting engaged right now and are, and are understanding how to uh, engage their legislators or understanding how to just sort of talk about the process and understanding how budgets work. And I think it's like a really that's really kind of cool to see. I think that will if you know if there's any kind of hope in sort of uh, uh, padding or reversing a lot of these this sort of direction, I think it'll come from those, those kind of people. Right. Yeah. So the the argument is that this is what Alaskans asked for. And now that Alaskans are seeing what they asked for, like, are they allowed to change their mind or or are we just stuck with that decision? Um, and so I think that the that's what the legislature is going to determine yeah. is, you know, depending on the feedback they get from, you know, from the public, from Alaskans, they're going to decide, oh, wait, this isn't what we want. Or they're going to decide that it is and it's time to make this tough call. So I, I think that if, if, if people are being impacted, mm -hmm. it is important that they speak up. And it's, it's been kind of entertaining watching a lot of these, this eruption of, um, of civic engagement and people are taking their kind of awkward baby steps into wading into these conversations. And, and I can really empathize. I've learned a lot over the years engaging. I still don't know. <laughs> I still don't know half of what I've, you know, like half of this stuff is, is so nuanced and so difficult. Like, I mean, you can get way off in the weeds on oil taxes or, or whatever. And, uh, it's, you know, it's I, it's got to be frustrating to come into this conversation right now and just have this anger of this thing is important and doesn't need to go away. You know, these 100 people don't need to be put out on the street or, or my community doesn't deserve this or, you know, just there are a lot of Alaskans who have their head down doing their day to day work. And, 
don't want to be engaged in this conversation are kind of doing it out of necessity right now. Yeah, I mean, well, <laughs> it's like another one more way that the um, the Dunleavy administration is mirroring the Trump administration, right? I mean, yeah. like we didn't have to worry about it constantly under under the old administration because it was in reasonably good hands. And now it, it's like there is, I think, in this budget, and I think this is why people are so engaged in it in a lot of ways, is that it really is kind of mean-spirited, I think. Like the cuts in here are almost designed to hurt. You know, it's, it's designed to hurt the people that are a part of these institutions. You know, you talk about... Uh, the university, you know, to balance that budget, they'd have to close both UAS and or the University of Alaska Southeast in, in Juneau and University of Alaska Anchorage. And like that would balance those cuts, you know, and like what a what a what a horrible thing to do. And, you know, and you're looking at, at, at seniors, too. And yeah, uh, yeah. I don't know. And, and so and I think I think you, we're already seeing a lot of legislators feel this burn. And right. And I think it, you can't forget that, like the reason we have these monstrous cuts is because the governor feels like he needs to deliver on his one campaign promise, which is delivering the giant PFD. And so I think, you know, maybe that's sort of the discussion we're, we're going to be having is, is okay, well, you don't want to uh, make cuts and you don't want to give up too much of your PFD and you don't want to do taxes. So like, where's the balance, right? And so, um, you know, maybe there is more talk about taxes somewhere along the line or, or, or something, because it does feel like, you know, I think the governor has forced us into this corner where, you know, everyone needs to be brought together and kind of figure it out. Right. Is that, you know, he is right. Like, you know, if, if you want to keep all right. these things, you're going to you can't pay for everything. And so uh, I don't know. It's going to be tough. Yeah. Yeah, my hope is that Alaskans look at this and say, "Oh, okay, that's what that's what that option looks like." Now we know when someone says right sizing, we we know what it means and we know how how much it will hurt. So maybe that's not what we want. Maybe we want maybe we want to have like this balance of like a, a small income tax and a, a moderate you know like moderate cap on the PFD and uh, maybe we should re-examine the oil tax credits and or t- oil taxes and maybe we should kind of take a little bit from everywhere and you know uh, Larry Persley wrote a great op-ed where he said uh, we all jump at once and that means like all these interests need to take a little bit of a hit and like if we all can kind of absorb some of the hit and maybe all kind of uh, agree to to do all of these changes at once, maybe it's okay and we can kind of get through this and, and we won't have to, no one group will have to be harmed so severely. I mean, I think one of the, one of the big underlying factors in this, right, is like, I feel like one of the really ruling decisions for them is, you know, does this make money? You know, is this sort of project that we're doing, does it, should it, can it, can it, and should it take care of itself? Like, so you look at, you know, the senior, the pioneer homes, for example, like the, their proposal there is uh, to increase the fees that residents will pay for to live there. And it's like Alaska already has, uh, you know, no, op- really no options for senior housing, especially kind of the senior housing that goes on at these sort of facilities. Um, and so I think there's kind of a, there's a bit of a fantasy world where Alaska is this booming economy where all, with all these sort of options, like, Alaska is a hard place to live on a lot of fronts and it's kind of an expensive place to live. And I think um, there is kind of like this kind of deep discussion of like what kind of going back, like what kind of state do we want Alaska to be and do we want to have these sort of things? And I think it's like 
some of the stuff won't pay for itself. Like that's just kind of the, the the truth of the matter. Like if we want our seniors to be able to live in Alaska, like we might have to help them be able to do that. And I think that was was kind of that's sort of maybe that that thinking right. is kind of disappearing under this administration. And you know, you look at uh, you yeah. know the the marine highway system. One of the things that just really uh, is really still stuck with me is you know the this line from one of the budget presentations where uh, the OMB director Donna Arduin was talking about how like the per mile cost to transport a car on the marine highway is like four fifty eight, and the the cost to transport it on a road is two cents, and it's like and so that was her example of why the marine highway system is inefficient, and it's like of right. course you you can't drive to these communities like there is no road um this is and so this is like yeah you have to have this um if you if you want the communities to be there but if you is if you are okay with them not having access yeah. to the rest of alaska and if you want them to go away like trying to privatize this system and close it down and parcel it out is maybe the way to do it and so yeah it's just like there's a really just dis- big disconnect between i think what some of these communities values are and what this budget director's values are. Yeah, maybe Donna Ardwin can uh, jump in her car and uh, take a drive over to Pelican and uh, see what it's like at two cents a mile. So I've been reading the Citizen's Guide to the Constitution. I've been reading a lot of like weird Alaska history book. That's not, not a, a weird Alaska history book, but I've been reading a lot of Alaska history books. And um, and do you mind if I go on a little rant here for a second? Yeah, sure. Okay. All right. So the so the Citizens Guide to the Constitution is is wonderful. It's got a lot of context in it that helps to understand how the decisions were made and how they've changed and been impacted and interpreted over the years. And um, uh, in reading it, one of the things that that um, he talks about this is Gordon Harrison who uh, who kind of edits it and writes it. And uh, one of the things he talks about. Uh, is that the Constitutional Convention was three years before statehood, and uh, that at that time, basically, the the prospects of statehood weren't really all that bright. It was kind of an academic pursuit. So they, they wanted statehood, but they didn't know they were going to get it. And so the people who got together, while there were Republicans and Democrats involved, the thing that really united them was the shared vision that state government was going to be a positive force for social and economic development of Alaska. So you got all these people in a room that think that statehood's a good idea and believe in the idea of government. Um, but there was this other group who wasn't a part of that conversation, and that was the kind of the anti-statehood group um, that viewed statehood as like an obstacle, you know, kind of anti-government, and also outside influences that saw statehood as as an obstacle uh, in using the state as a resource extraction colony. So, well, so a real quick pause there, but I think I I do recall there is a, 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 a in meeting with Trump at one point, Dunleavy did call Alaska a warehouse. So there you go. Yeah, That's just an interesting little element there. Yeah. Right. And so I think that there's like this mindset that wasn't part of statehood and wasn't part of creating the Constitution that um, is now that now still exists. You know, Dunleavy wasn't around. It wasn't part of that. And but I think that people like Dunleavy and Babcock and Ardwin and a lot of the big oil companies and David Eastman and Dick Randolph and all these people are part of that mindset that that was in opposition to statehood. And they weren't part of what really shaped our state in the beginning. But now they're like now they've kind of got their foot in the door. They're in government. They're in big leadership positions and they're kind of trying to tear it down and reshape it from the inside, which is, uh, you know, it was kind of an eye opening realization to me to realize that like, oh, hey, this is this part of Alaska's identity that wasn't 
on board with statehood that is now kind of thrust into this architecture that they're not comfortable with and they're trying to change it. And I mean, I guess they have the right to do that, but it's a little uh, disconcerting to see someone come in and just start like ripping out the beams. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, well, I think that's kind of, I mean, it flows in there, I think, to, to the, the organization that came together in the House on, on Thursday, which was, um, you know, you have the core kind of remnants of this bipartisan coalition, um, 15 Democrats and undeclared independent, two Repu- moderate Republicans were joined by like this kind of like uh, scrappy bunch of Republicans who are not you wouldn't not, wouldn't be the group that you'd think would be that would come on board, which is um, you have Anchorage Republicans, uh, Chuck Kopp and uh, Jennifer Johnston. Um, you have Gary Knopp. You have um, then from Fairbanks, you have three there. Um, you have um, uh, Steve Thompson, who's a pretty conservative guy. He's kind of a party line Republican. Uh, you have, I think, Bart Laban. I think I'm not sure if he's official yet, but he's the guy that won by a single vote. So it makes kind of sense. And then I think the, the most odd of the group is uh, Representative North Pole Representative Tammy Wilson, who we talked about last week. Um, and she's going to she's like an integral part of this group. She's going to be uh, the uh, co-chair of the House Finance Committee. Um, I think if you had said probably like even six, like two months ago that our co-chairs were going to be uh, Representative Neil Foster and Representative Tammy Wilson for the House Finance Committee, I think you would have, no one would have believed you, um, even a million years. Um, and here we are. So I think like, I want to talk about Tammy just a little bit more which is, from last week, which is, you know, I think this is a person who um, has never been particularly like philosophical I think like these sort of like broad ideas of uh, what statehood should be or whether it shouldn't be like she's always it's kind of never been super important what's always been important is like connecting to her constituents and the people who voted for her and the people who didn't vote for her who live in her district like everything that she's done has kind of been serving them and, and and trying to make their lives better and I think I think that's kind of I think and so you'd think that she would be this kind of person kind of based on her previous actions of cutting budgets here and there, like all over the place. Like she's been a really big budget cutter. And so you'd think she'd be like on board with Dunleavy. But like, I think you're right. I think like this kind of the philosophical mindset that's sort of in there right now is kind of this like existential crisis to like what government has been for a long time. Like it's not necessarily like a wrong one, but it is it is a threat to like what how we've done things so far. And I think I think Tammy understands that to some extent. I think for her like to get on board with a bunch of Democrats is like, is just, is really mind blowing. I am like still getting over that reality, but I think it makes a lot of sense given that, you know, I think that this, these cuts are going to hurt her people a lot. And so I think for her to, she, I don't, I think like these kind of cuts are probably unconscionable to her, even though this is a person who would have been happy to cut, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars from the state budget, but not thousands of millions, I guess. Yeah, yeah, and I think that I think philosophically the what legislators are going to have to decide for themselves this year is if they believe in the state of Alaska and they want the the vision of our, you know, of our of our founding documents or if they want to tear it all down and start over with something else. And so that's what I think we're going to have to answer for ourselves this session. I think it's a really big decision. So it'll be, um, you know, it'll, it'll be really interesting to see how it goes. And ultimately, the legislature is going to put together a budget that does not align with Dunleavy's budget. And then they're going to have to decide if they're going to back it up and override yeah. his vetoes. 
So it's going to be a real, it's going to be a, it's going to be a big year. Um, okay. So Matt, before we started recording, I, uh, I tweeted out that we were going to start recording and asked to see if anyone had any comments. So I've got a few. Do you want to, you want to jump through some of those before we sign off? Yeah. Okay. All yeah, right. Let's, good. uh, let's see what we've got here. Okay. So, okay. So this one just says UA, 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 Uh, sorry. I'm a little freaked out by this. So <laughs> I think, I think we talked about the university, but I, I don't know that we necessarily went into like how much that means for people who are actively pursuing an education there. Like, what is it, you know, we had this big thing happen with the, um, education accredi- uh, accreditation mm-hmm. in, in, in the University of Alaska Anchorage. And we got to see kind of a, a very small glimpse of what happens when a program is disrupted. Now, when you're talking about the scale of shutting down campuses uh, and consolidating programs, there are a lot of students who are in the mix. So these aren't jobs that are going to be lost, but these are students whose lives are going to be impacted, whose career trajectories are going to be changed or, or even have to start over. Um, because of this, um, yeah, you you lived in Fairbanks for a long time and covered the university. Do you have any thoughts on that? Well, so I think I mean, you, yeah, <laughs> I well, first I mean I covered the university for years, and so you know I've watched as they've tried to kind of right their ship. I mean, they, so they've been hit. They were kind of one of the first groups that were hit really hard by the budget cuts um, under Walker, and they've been kind of hit every single year, really. So they've they've been kind of a go-to place um, for cuts. And so, like, they've already been dealing with a lot of pain. Um, and I think it's really affecting, like, honestly, like, it, it, it's affecting the quality of the school in some degree. Like, you have professors who are leaving. You have programs that are already being cut here and there. Um, and it, it is really difficult for the university to like really nimbly um, be really nimble in responding to these because it is required to like teach out degrees. So you can't end a program one year with, with, without giving your students options to, to finish their degree. So like it's, it's already been really a big challenge. And I think um, you look at the response from the Fairbanks. So basically every single Fairbanks legislator now in the House, except for one, are going to be part of this bipartisan coalition. And I think that speaks a lot because I, you know, in, in Fairbanks, I think that like the, I've looked at the economy there and, and basically they look at like new dollars coming in. And so a third of it comes from the private sector. A third of the new dollars comes from the federal government. And the final third basically comes from, from local and state government, which is the university and pretty much the university. And so, I mean, it's the, the the economic importance of it is just crazy. But but I think as far as like it, it's a it serves a really important purpose of like building the state and and kind of providing a lot of research about how Alaska works and how Alaska could work better. And and I think without it, I kind of don't really know where the future of the state will go. And I think that is really kind of scary for me. Um, you know, I, I think like I think a lot of times about going back to school. And I would really like to be able to go back to go to Alaska. And um, I, I don't know. I, I think the I think that is one of the really core kind of stabs at the future of, of what this sort of state has become. Yeah, it's it gets to the question. It, it gets to some deep questions about whether we you know value education and if we value our young people and we want to keep them here or if we're willing to just sort of lose all of our talent to the outside. You know, I, I'm a graduate of the University of Alaska Fairbanks, and I had a great experience there. 
Um, you know, like it was it was tough to go to school in Fairbanks, but uh, as a result of it of of that decision, you know, I didn't come out of school with a lot of debt. I met some great people. I feel like I was, mm-hmm. I, I feel like I got a unique and valuable experience, and I feel like I learned a lot. The computer science program up there was amazing. So, um, you know, I think that other people deserve that opportunity to stay in state and to. Um, and to have a good university experience. And I, th- I think the real downside of this idea of, you know, consolidation is that what it does is it ultimately it turns people against each other and it turns communities against each other of, you know, now you've got Fairbanks fighting Juno, fighting Anchorage over like where things end up. And then it mm-hmm. doesn't become about the bigger question of do we want to educate people? It becomes about the little... Uh, kind of ticky tacky budgetary fights about who who gets the thing, and it just becomes fighting over scraps, which which is not going to solve our problems. So okay, yeah. Here, here's another one. Um, All right. Discussion. Uh, is, this guy asks uh, dis- asks for discussion on both the governor's veto and the history of veto overrides, and uh, and the likelihood of a veto, and then also what happens if no budget is passed until July or August. We've seen long sessions uh, in the past few years. Is it possible that we that this is so complicated that we will not have a budget passed until July or August? So I think I mean I think the 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 possibility of not having a budget on the start of the fiscal year, which is July one, is still probably kind of outside of the chances. But I think very possible. I would say um, I would be really afraid of what, what would happen if we got to like. I mean, we're talking shutdown if if the, we don't have a budget on the first. Um, and you know automatic layoffs and all this sort of layoff warnings and the automatic layoffs and stuff like that. So uh, it also not only do we not operate with a budget, but like stuff like it starting it automatically kicks into like um, paying out pensions and stuff like that, or, uh, or other financial benefits and stuff. So like it, it gets really really messy if they they shut down. Um, uh, but I think the chance of having a a long budget process is big. I think. You know, if you try to cut 25% out of education by itself, like that would be a whole elect or whole legislative session discussion, I think. That would be a whole fight by itself. And you're talking about like multiple full session fights all at once. And so my concern, I guess, is that they they don't take their time and they kind of rush through things. And so that's a big concern. I think uh, the the the, v, the line item veto is a really big deal. It'll, it it takes a three quarter vote to override anything, so that means you need sixteen votes of in, you know of of any group of legislators to over to not override something to basically support the governor. And so, um, you know the the House Republican minority is already fifteen, um, so they got all the votes right there to back them up basically. Um, so I yeah, it's gonna be tough. I think you know the we'll see. I think they I think they're gonna see some creativity around like. What they do with the PFD potentially, maybe some, maybe somehow that is tied to, they can they can kind of tie those together and, and force the governor's hand. Basically, I, I don't know. I think those, those kind of things are, are constitutionally sort of flimsy and sort of dangerous. But I think that you could get you could see some creativity in there. Yeah, and how about the um, the vetoes? Have we seen a lot of uh, veto overrides and things like that? And are like you've been covering the the legislature for a long time. Have you seen many veto overrides? Uh, I haven't seen any veto overrides, um, but that's I've covered since 2011. I've seen quite a few vetoes here and there. You know, usually it's around the capital budget. Um, you know, so Governor Walker vetoed the vitamin D study, for example. Um, Parnell vetoed money for the Moose Mamas program, I think. It's in, <laughs> yeah. I think, uh, Moose Preservation Coalition. I can't remember what it was called. But 
there are like things here or there, but usually there are these kind of like pet projects that are inserted by inserted by a legislator that get vetoed. So it's um, usually it's not like he comes in and vetoes a quarter of the education funding all at once, but you know it's a possibility. And I think you know you did a little bit of look into Donna Ardoin's past and what happens with legislators there, right? Yeah, Donna Ardoin's history in other states is that the the legislature comes back and puts their projects back on in there, and then the governor. Uh, vetoes it, and they rely heavily on the veto power in getting these uh, budget cuts through. And so, it's very likely that we'll see um, vetoes. I was going to say, in in regard to some of the vetoes that we've seen in the past, the ones I'm most familiar with are the recent ones by Governor Walker that vetoed the payout of the um, PFD and yeah. the, and the uh, oil tax credits. You know, so those are two really big ones that were used as kind of a, a heavy hammer there. Um, but yeah, we, we live in a state where a veto override is very difficult. It takes a three-quarters uh, majority of the legislature, and that's that's very, very hard to achieve. So we may not be able to uh, – we may be faced with some of these cuts being permanent. Yeah. You know, I, I serve on the Alaska State Council for the Arts, and our funding was zeroed out, which I'm not very enthusiastic about. And I, I hear that there will be um, legislation soon to follow that will uh, try to repeal our uh, enabling statute. Now, I don't know that that legislation will get through, but I think it's, you know, it's a there's a non-zero chance that our budget will be zero, um, which is really unfortunate. Well, that's kind of the interesting thing with some of it, too, is that, like, yeah. that that's the one kind of backstop is that a lot of these changes um, – you know, they, my, a lot of the budget changes can happen through line item veto, but a lot of this stuff is sort of set in law. Like um, school funding, for example, is in law. So, like, you can, like, veto the funding, but a lot of those things are still required to be, like, paid out. So, like, Medicaid, for example, like, the, the, the spending there isn't determined by the budget. It's determined by, like, usage and, and the statute in law. And so some of those things are going to be really interesting fights because those are those are with, those will be the places where legislators will have some actual um, uh, leverage, I guess. You know, if they can say that they can maybe they won't do a wholesale repeal, but maybe they, they do a partial or something like that. So this next one is more of a comment than a uh, than a question, but it's uh, basically saying that uh, education programs that partner with the university uh, make it affordable for non-traditional students to attend classes. And this idea of non-traditional students is really important because people are going back to school to get occupational endorsements or they're trying to get back to work. And we're not sure if those programs would function if tuition goes up or if people would have the same access to them if, if campuses closed down. And so uh, for this particular person, they are attending UAS and it makes it possible to it makes it possible for me to pursue my dreams, learn new skills, and prepare for a career shift without having to leave Alaska, uproot our family. And I also know many people who came here for school and made this their home afterward. So, um, you know, in, in addition to the traditional university students, we do have to think about how much of our community uses these as kind of career vocational, um, career, career enhancement, career advancement um, schools. Yeah, I agree. Well, you know, these are and it, these are like the weird edge cases too, where it's like, you know, could there be a private organization that provides this opportunity? Like maybe, but would they do it in a way that is affordable to the general Alaskan and 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 is available to people like that? You know, and I, I don't think so. And 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 so that is like so. You know, you make the change the program, and you kind of expect the private sector to step in, and and I think that's, I don't know, it's just it's frustrating and kind of doom, doom and gloom is how I feel a little bit about it. But I think, and I think again, it, it is like, 
I guess if I was a young person here, I would have a really hard time looking at these headlines even and, and without even knowing where the budget will land, have a look at these sort of things and kind of like worry about I worry about my future. As I hear like a lot of young people do are looking at going outside yeah. um, for school and, and for everything else. Because I don't think there is, you know, a future. And I, th- yeah, I think the idea that there's just going to be this booming entrepreneurialism like that might be great. But like, does everybody want a job in in oil? refining and that sort of stuff or oil and gas production like i don't think so i don't in terms of booming entrepreneurialism i can speak to my personal experience and say that it was uh, starting a business here in alaska was was a direct uh, outcome of attending the university of alaska fairbanks you know i started my my business with my former college roommate and i uh, worked in a field that spin off spun off and reflected the project-based work i was doing up there and it was um you know it, it it really helped me build a business that's now been thriving for 17 years. And so, you know, that's my own personal experience. And I think the university does quite a bit for the economy. Um, all right, here's, here's a yeah. comment from a UAS student um, that, and it's about something I think we haven't addressed yet. And it's the, uh, um, the matching federal funds that are being lost uh, to Medicaid and university and ferry system and all, all kinds of other, um, you, you know, Alaska State Council on the Arts brings in a lot of outside money. Um, so federal and foundation funding that the state is foregoing by making cuts. Uh, what do we think about that? So I don't think I've, we've seen a solid number on this yet. I know there is some document that was floating around, so I haven't seen a solid number, but um, it's a lot. It's, it's a lot. Um, you look at stuff like, you know, Medicaid expansion, for example, that's, um, you know, it's $1 of ours is $9 of theirs. Um, you know, I, you, the Art Foundation, right? Doesn't that pull in quite a bit of money, federal money? Yeah, the arts. Yeah, well, the Alaska State Council on the Arts gets uh, a little less than $700,000 from the state of Alaska, which is matched by the National Endowment for the Arts, the uh, federal organization. And then we also bring in additional funding from foundations. Um, so we're, we're probably about like for every dollar that the state spends, we're bringing in pr- probably two or three more, basically. Yeah. So all that goes goes so, away basically. Yeah, we'll have the impact of just multiplying these effects even more. And I think, right. I mean, it, it makes me wonder kind of, I mean, it kind of goes back for me, like this, I've, I have this like distinction in my head for a long time about legislators who have the best interests of their district in mind and the legislators who have the best interests of the state in mind. And I think those are two like very different kind of people. And I think, um, you know, Almost on this level, you just have, like, people on the administration who just, like, have anti-government interests in mind. Because, like, yeah, I mean, like, some of these the spending is basically erasing, like, many more dollars of, quote-unquote, like, kind of free federal money. Um, that, you know, we Alaska State of Alaska gets way more federal money than it does pay to the federal government. And I think... Um, you know, maybe maybe you're working to balance the books of the feds too. I don't know, but um, yeah, yeah. All right. Well, it seems like I mean, these federal projects are like a good deal usually. So, but, and and the you you look at the legislature and they're happy to take federal highway money, but they're not so interested in the federal arts money. So I don't know quite how that squares up. Um, I mean, maybe you guys need to buy get a good lobbyist, make some more big campaign contributions. <laughs> I guess so. Um, I, I, and I, you know, that's a really interesting thing. I was actually talking to a, 
a lobbyist, uh, a friend of mine who I used to ride the school bus with, who is now a lobbyist uh, here in Juneau. And uh, I, I'm hoping we can chat with her in the future. Um, I think it would be really interesting to talk to a lobbyist and and see what their perspective is on this, um, because I think they're going to have an interesting year as well. Yeah. That's kind of the, 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 the gist of things from our uh, Twitter comments here. Do you want to wrap up with any final thoughts? I mean, I think the big thing being, you know, going from here on out is just to be engaged. I think I think it's really going to be important to um, let legislators know how you feel about it. I think they need your support or opposition, I guess, in certain cases uh, more now more than ever. I think there's going to be some really in- important conversations being hap- happening. And I think um, if they're not hearing from the public um, on any certain certain program or sort of priority, I think that's going to be that much easier for it to be cut. So I think that's going to be a really important thing. I think it's just to be engaged and be and be involved. Yeah. Be your own advocate. Don't let someone else do it for you. Uh, reach out to your senator and your representative and uh, anyone else you know that's involved in the process and make sure that they uh, know how this will impact you and um, make sure that you're part of the conversation if it's a conversation you care to be a part of. And especially if you're in a district of any of these Republicans who've crossed over, like they are really sticking their necks out there for what they think is yeah. right. Um, you know, I think we've we've seen the Republican Party come on come down on on these sort of bipartisanly minded legislators um, really t- horribly. I think they kind of uh, attack their 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 credibility and character in really nasty and kind of I think unalaskan sort of ways, if I'm being honest. And um, so I think letting if you are in any any of these districts where, where someone crossed over and if, if you don't like the Dunleavy budget, um, I think you should let them know that you really support their actions. I think um, I think that sort of stuff is going to be important in keeping them together. Yeah. All right. All right. Uh, that's a good conversation. We'll uh, we'll talk again uh, in a while and uh, uh, have. Have a good weekend, Matt. Yeah, well, I'm down in San Francisco enjoying everything down here, eating my way through the city. Oh, awesome. Uh, and I, just as an addendum, I don't think we said this at the beginning of the show, I think today is day 33 of the legislative session. Is that correct? Day what? Day 33, right? Is that where we are? Yeah. Oh, yeah, it is day 33, correct. All right, day 33, signing off. Goodbye, Alaska. Right, see you guys later. Yeah, that was good. All right. That was really good. Thanks. I think it's always kind of cathartic to like talk about it a little bit. So. Oh, it really does. Yeah. And I think that it's, um, there are so many people engaged in this conversation. It's really heartening. I don't know that it's necessarily going to like go very well, but I think that it's really good that people have their eyes on the ball, you know? Yeah. I think it, it makes it that much more difficult for them to kind of, to do what they're doing, I think.